The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Thanks, Aaron, for reading that passage for us. Um, so my job today is to land the plane. All right, we've been on this journey through the Lord's Prayer, and we've, we've gotten to the end of it. And uh, so in kind of an umbrella moment, we will be looking at the, the words that we often pray as Christians at the end of our prayers, in Jesus' name, amen. Now that's not actually in the Lord's Prayer, but it concludes all of our prayers, and I think there's really, really, really good reason for that. Is that, is that me, Justin? All right. We'll, we'll keep going. Um, and so the question that I want to uh, try to open up for us today is to think about the center of our lives. What is at the center of your life? Some of us may have heard of a man named Bertrand Russell before. Perhaps a few hands would go up. Uh, he was a very, very, very smart British man. And he was, he was actually brought up in a Christian home. He was raised as a Christian, taught to love and fear the Lord, but he eventually rejected that faith and became an outspoken atheist. When I was reading up on the sermon for this week, I stumbled upon an article that mentioned him, specifically one of the ways that his daughter described him. And it hit me. She talked about her dad and his religion or lack of religion like this. She said, somewhere at the bottom of his heart, at the depths of his soul, there was an empty space that God had once filled, and he never found anything else to put in it. And so let me ask you a question. What is at the bottom of your heart? What is it filled with? Is it God or is it something else? I think this whole series on the Lord's Prayer that we've been journeying through for this past several weeks has been illuminating to us in many different ways, but I think in one way particular that has been transformative, and that is Jesus is teaching us a posture in which we pray. We are taught to pray not with ourselves in mind, but with him. A, a, an image that I brought up at the beginning of our series is on the differences between default and kingdom prayer. And I'd like to bring that up again. Default prayer focuses on ourselves at the center of our hearts, at the bottom of our hearts. And we pray focused on ourselves, to make a name for ourselves, to bless our kingdoms, to relieve our struggles and our worries and our conflicts and our challenges. But Jesus teaches us through the Lord's Prayer a posture that is the exact opposite of that. It calls, it's called kingdom prayer, where we replace ourselves at the center with an outward focus towards God. It's not focused on ourselves, it's focused on Him. 
It's not to make a name for ourselves. It's to have reverence for God and his name. It's not to bless our plans and build our kingdom, but rejoice in Jesus' reign and announce the gospel. And on and on and on it goes. Default prayer is about us. Kingdom prayer is about God. Default prayer moves us towards the center. Kingdom prayer invites God towards the center. Default prayer accomplishes very little. Kingdom prayer moves mountains, changes the world, and transforms us in the process. How do we pray, church? Do we pray default prayer? Or do we pray kingdom prayer? Individually, not just individually, together. I was talking with Ben this Thursday, Pastor Ben this past Thursday, just talking about how the past two years has been incredibly challenging for all of us. And I've seen uh, myself, our church council, individuals in our church, praying default prayer. What, how would things have changed if we had taken a more kingdom posture? And how will things change in the future if we invite God into the center and pray in kingdom ways through what we've learned here by looking at the Lord's Prayer? It's not about us, it's about Him. And I know we know that. I know, I really do. And what I want for us is to lean into that even more. As we look out over the next, I don't know how long COVID's going to be around for, but man, we need to pray. And so, like a massive bear hug, I'm going to try to land the plane. Talking about Jesus' name as a big bear hug that wraps up everything that we know about prayer into one little phrase, okay? And we pray, I think, in Jesus' name for three reasons that I want to point out for us. We pray in Jesus' name because of the loving power of his name, because of the work of his name, and because of the grace of his name. The loving power, the work, and the grace. So I wanted to uh, start John chapter 14, verse 13. Jesus tells his disciples that he will do whatever they ask for in his name. And then he repeats it. I tell you again, whatever you ask for in my name, I will do it. And so I want maybe for us to do this as a little bit of a, a, a project. When you get home, think about the thing that you, you want and pray for it and see if it works. Will it work? What do you think, church? Will it work? Maybe. Why only maybe? If Jesus says he'll give us whatever we ask for, why only maybe? Well, I would like to say this morning that I think that that maybe comes because Jesus is both loving and powerful. So, does Jesus have the power to give us whatever we ask for? Yes or no? Yes. But the reason why he doesn't is because he's also loving. Let me give you an example of loving power. Okay. Uh, good parents love their children. 
Yes or no? Yes. Parents, kids, young kids, your parents also have a lot of power to give you things or not give you things, yes? Christmas is coming. They have lots of power around this time of year. Now imagine that you are a parent of a three-year-old. And that three-year-old comes up to you and says, Daddy, Daddy, Mommy, 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 uh, can I have a lighter and some fireworks? For some of you, that actually has happened before. Would it be a good idea to listen to your child and to give them what they ask for? No. Well, why not? Would you have the power to do it? Of course. You know, firecrackers are like three cents each, and everyone's got a lighter lying around. But good parents have the love of the, their love for their child in mind. And so the, the, good, the good parent thinks about it and says, you know, I know that's what you need. But that will actually end up hurting you. And, and I love you so much that I can't stand to see you hurt. And so I'm not going to give you what you've asked for. I'm going to give you something else. That is an example of loving power. The power to be able to look into a person's life and to see their requests and to know in deep, deep wisdom what is good and what is not. Parents, good parents who love their children always, always, always have the best for their child in mind. And so if this is true, when we think about being a good, loving parent, couldn't it be also true of the best parent, our Father in heaven? If we're asking for something in prayer that's not good for us, that will actually hurt us, wouldn't it be good to have a God who won't give us those things? You know, we, can, we say sometimes, you know, I can't believe God didn't answer my prayer. And what we're actually saying is, I, I know what I need, and I can't believe God's not listening to me. And sometimes, sometimes we don't. Most of the times, we don't know what we need. Most of the time, we think we know. You know, imagine for a moment, uh, you're praying that, that you'll get a part in the school play, or that you'll make a, the cut on the soccer team. But what if God knows that getting that part, or making that team, is going to puff you up, and make you a little bit too, you know, full of yourself? It's going to lead you to hurt some friends, or to, you know, down the road, God knows that giving you that part would actually not be for your benefit. He knows the best thing for you. And so wouldn't it be a really loving thing for God not to give you that part? Not to answer that prayer? Praying in Jesus' name means that we submit ourselves to his loving power. For we know we can do this because in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts, good gifts to those who ask him? Praying in Jesus' name means that we can be confident that our prayers are protected. Protected from 
God answering bad prayers. We are protected from our bad prayers and given our good prayers. And so how do we begin to pray like this? Imagine prayer as a, 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 a husk of corn. A husk. Is that the word? Uh, the full thing. The husk and the kernel. Um, and a cob of corn. There we go. Um, so you, you have the husk, that's the outside, and you have the kernel, that's the inside. Uh, you know, praying uh, for something. Let's say, let's say you, uh, Father, I'm, I'm lonely. I want a spouse. I want a friend. I want somebody who can, can, I can go through life with, who, who will love me. The, the, the kernel of that prayer is loneliness. A deep, deep desire to have somebody or something around you, a community, friends, whatever. The husk is the spouse, the, the thing that you're asking God for, or the friend. To pray uh, kingdom prayer is to pray our kernels above our husks. To pray for the things that we know that we, we need, that we long for, without coming to the conclusion that it's this sort of outcome. We, when we pray husk prayers, we often frustrate ourselves. When we focus on kernel prayers, we will discover the loving power of Jesus. It all, it's praying in Jesus' name also means uh, the work in Jesus' name. Now, John chapter 14 is a passage from the night before Jesus was crucified. And Jesus is talking to his disciples about continuing the work that he's been doing on earth. If we back up this, this uh, reading to, to uh, verse 13, we'll see that, that Jesus is saying to his disciples that you're going to do not just the same work that I'm doing, you're going to do greater work than what I've been doing. And so Jesus is framing prayer in the context of work, the work that God has for us. And so in this way, and I think this, this is true, li- as we live in a broken world, longing for Christ to return, our prayer, prayers will always have a missional bend to them. They will always bring us outward in mission. It's one indication that we're praying in the right direction is when they lead us outward. Outward to do the work, to continue the work, the partnership with God. And what is that work? What does God call us to do? Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, to continue the work of Jesus is to participate in the renewal of the whole world by the healing of all the results of sin. The spiritual, the psychological, the social, and the physical. So I'll say that again. To continue the work of Jesus is to partner with God in renewing all things, all aspects of sin in our world. God wants us to partner with him in making new, in making different. This sounds oddly familiar if you're a member of First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church. Our vision here is to be personally transformed by the gospel and to see our city and world renewed in Christ. Our vision for ourselves and for our city and our world run right along the lines of the gospel about the work that Jesus has called us to do. 
And so this vision actually begins inside each one of us, doesn't it? The work begins inside us. That's a work of transformation. We each are broken people. We need to experience the renewal of Jesus in our spiritual, in our psychological, in our social, and in our physical selves. But it doesn't just stay inside of us. It also leads us outward, right? Into our communities, into our neighborhoods, into our city, right? It's kind of like a rock that you throw into the water, right? The first ripples are really, really close, and then it leads you outward. This is the work that God has called us to do, and he has given us the biggest, best tool to help us in the job. It's prayer. Imagine that you have started a job at the grocery store near your house. And you have a supervisor, and you show up on your first day, and you say to your supervisor, Hey, I'm brand new. Uh, I'm excited to work here. And they give you a name tag, and they say, Okay, go. You'd be like, What do I do? No, a good supervisor is going to train you. They're going to equip you. They're going to teach you what you need to do. And then they're going to also probably add something onto the end of it and say, okay, here you go. Now you're all set. You know what you're going to do. And if you have any questions or you need anything, come find me and I'll give it to you. Right? That's a good supervisor. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying prayer is intended to give you what you need for the journey, for yourselves and your transformation and for our world. Praying in Jesus' name means that we pray the work of his name, the renewal of all things. And I think it holds us accountable to that. You know, when we pray in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers, it's not just something that we can just attack on. This is something that we have been called to do. We need to pay attention to that. Jesus is eager to give us what we need. But how can we know that praying in Jesus' name works? When I was preparing for the sermon at the beginning of this series on Hallowed Be Thy Name, I began to think more deeply about how I approached God. And I began to realize how unworthy I was to come before the throne of God. Why can we come before God and have the audacity to ask for things? I mean, I realized when I was preparing for Hallowed Be Thy Name that I come broken. You know, I've royally messed up at times in my life. My past is not as clean as I would love to see it. And I know I'm not alone in that. And as Psalm 69 reminds us, if we have cherished sin in our hearts, the Lord will not listen. We come broken. We also come demanding. We ask for the wrong things, in the wrong attitude, for the wrong reasons. We pray often default prayer with ourselves at the center, like a three-year-old having a temper tantrum. We also come irreverent. And we, we don't always approach God as king of the universe or as the incredibly hallowed being that he is. 
And so how can we know that for us, or for me, Hayden Regling, that the door to God's house is always open, that he will always bend his ear to my cry? It's because of the grace of the name of Jesus. Friends, because when Jesus was on the cross, he was treated as we should be. See, when Jesus went to the cross, he was the perfect son of God, never treasuring iniquity in his heart, never demanding things from his father, submitting to his will all the time, coming as a reverent person before the throne of God. And when he, of all people, the one who should be heard, cried out to God when he was hanging on the cross, the Lord did not just not answer him. The Lord didn't hear him. It says that great popular hymn that we sing, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, right? How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turned his face away. As wounds which marred the chosen one bring many sons to glory. On that, on that moment on the cross when Jesus cried out, he was being treated as we should. He was being un heard. Which means for us that when we come before God in the name of Jesus, we know we will be heard. Because he was treated as we should be, we will be treated as he is. He should have been. The door by which we enter is not our own righteousness, as we talked about earlier. It's not our own goodness. It's not our own standard. We pray in Jesus' name because it's the grace of that he gives us, that means we can come before the Father forgiven. We can come before the, the Father righteous, that he will hear us and our cries, that he will treat us, not as our sins deserve, but as, as Christ deserved. We can pray in confident trust in the loving power of his name, the work of Jesus, and the grace of him who died for us. And so we say amen. Amen, which means truly, trustworthy. This is to be trusted. And so we can pray confident. We can pray knowing that our prayers will be answered in the best way possible for us. Amen. Let's pray. God Almighty, as we come to the end of our dive into the Lord's Prayer, uh, we recognize how much help we need to pray. And so we, I pray this morning that you would um, lead us and guide us as we uh, learn more and lean into kingdom prayer. Teach us and, and be patient with us. Father, I pray that you would uh, encourage each one of us by the name of Jesus Christ that, that you are um, for us and for our world and that we can come before you through him and him alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.